Welcome to episode three of Bibliophile Labyrinth Adventures. I'm Michael, and I am very excited to introduce this episode because uh, you're only going to hear me for about a minute or two here because I'm handing the, the show over to to Michael from Germany, a.k.a. Sauce the Rope. He's the guy that got me interested in reading the Piers Anthony book and, and, and trilogy, Battle Circle, uh, and the Sauce the Rope book, which is the first one of it, the first episode of this podcast I talked about. And what he's done here is everything I want to do commendations to him and very very grateful thanks to him for participating in this i hope to hear a lot more from him on anything that he wishes to discuss be it book related he did a great job and this is kind of what i'm hoping to establish here i want to make it available to other people if you're interested to share your thoughts on the books that you love I've gone over this the last last episode. You can talk about anything, about a book, uh, a certain author that you love, how you fell in love with it, what book by a particular author helped made you interested in that person's works. Um, if you're a fan of Harry Potter, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that uh, entire universe that J.K. Rowling has created. If you're a fan of Star Trek novelizations or Star Wars novelizations or the works of Ian Rankin detective stories in Scotland and Edinburgh. Absolutely anything is acceptable here to a point. I'd like to try to keep it as family friendly as possible, but, but really it's about the, it's like the name is it's a, it's a, it's a story about your adventures with, with great books that you love. Yeah. So yeah, let's see. You can send any submissions to the podcast. Uh, you can reach out to and send an email to one, four, three podcast at gmail.com. And we'll take a look at what what you want to do or what you've done, and we'll get back to you. If you if you hesitate to record and you don't really feel like you can sit by yourself, if you got a friend that you sit find yourself often talking about a good book that y'all have both read, hey, sit down with a friend and record the conversation. You'd be surprised how interesting that will be to some other people. There are a lot of great podcasts that are just a couple of friends getting together and talking about a movie or a book or a game that they've played, and people want to hear about it. They want this. It's a way of exploring. It's an adventure to, in itself to, to discover new things or to find like-minded people that like the things that you like. Or possibly they, they could shed light, like Michael does in this episode, about a book that I've read, and he opened my eyes to some things that I missed. And uh, again, thank you to him. I hope that all of you get to hear more from him in the near future. He has an open door here to submit anything to this show, uh, and I, I'm I'm sure that you all will enjoy this episode as much as I did listening to it. So, without further ado, here's Michael from Germany talking about the works of Piers Anthony. Hello and welcome to the Bibliophile Labyrinth Adventure with me, Michael from Germany. On Twitter, I'm known as Sauce the Rope, so you can uh, guess my connection there to this podcast. I'd like to say thank you first to Michael from Texas from the 2BT podcast. 
uh, for inviting me on to the show. And I hope that it'll reach a couple of listeners and maybe provide an interesting evening or morning or afternoon's entertainment because uh, what I plan to do on this episode is just give a little bit more of the background as to why I chose this um, pretty pretty obscure novel and uh, also a novel that's had some bad reviews from pretty much everybody who's read it. Um, why I chose this uh, for my name on Twitter and uh, why it's still kind of fascinating for me. I'm going to try not to cover so much of the information that uh, Michael from Texas already gave you on his episode uh, about this book. But instead, I'm going to try and give a more personal look at it. And also, I'm going to try and do more of a deep dive into why uh, Piers Anthony's books are the way they are and why this book itself is so special compared to most of them. So let me just start out by saying uh, I totally agree with most of the reviews that this book gets. It is um, what is commonly known as a pulp book. Uh, another word for that kind of book might be trash. It's uh, the kind of book you just pick up and you read it maybe in your bathroom or while you're waiting for a bus or while you're taking a train or something. Um, it was written in the 60s. I guess uh, it was a good time to get started as a writer. There was a lot of sci-fi. There was a lot of fantasy out there. Um, the big uh, pulp authors of the 1930s, 40s, 50s maybe um, had made their impact. Uh, but perhaps those names like um, uh, the author of Conan the Barbarian... Uh, Robert Howard, uh, people like Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft, uh, the Cthulhu mythos uh, writer, and such like. They were maybe a little more forgotten by that time. Maybe there was room on the market for more uh, more of the same, really, uh, but more suited to the times. Uh, so this is escapist literature. It is not meant to be realistic by any means. Um, in fact, I'm going to get on to why it's it's maybe not even meant to be read as realistic. I want to I wanna give my favorite uh, apology for this kind of literature. And it's by a guy called J.R.R. Tolkien. Comes from a book called Tree and Leaf. And it's actually, that's actually a collection of his writings. Some short stories that he wrote. There's some essays and some lectures that he gave. One of his lectures is on fairy stories. That's the name of the the, the lecture. And uh, Tolkien, during his lifetime, often had to justify why he was writing fairy stories. He was writing fairy stories for adults. Um, and this lecture is, I guess it's famous among Tolkien's uh, fans. Let me just read you the justification of escapist literature. I do not accept the tone of scorn or pity with which escape is now of so often used. 
a tone for which the uses of the word outside literary criticism give no warrant at all. In what the misusers are fond of calling real life, escape is evidently, as a rule, very practical, and it may even be heroic. In real life, it's difficult to blame it unless it fails. In criticism, it would seem to be the worse, the better it succeeds. I want to just stop here from the quote and mention that this is Tolkien. This is a man who uh, who fought in the war, so he's not he's not unfamiliar with heroism or the lack of it. Back to the quote. Evidently, we are faced by a misuse of words and also by a confusion of thought. Why should a man be scorned if, finding himself in prison, he tries to get out and go home, or if, when he cannot do so, he thinks and talks about other topics than jailers and prison walls? The world outside has not become less real because the prisoner cannot see it. In using escape in this way, the critics have chosen the wrong word, and what is more, they are confusing, not always in sincere error. The escape of the prisoner, with the flight of the deserter. Just so, a party spokesman might have labelled departure from the misery of the Führers or any other Reich, and even criticism of it as treachery. In the same way, these critics, to make their confusion worse, and so to bring into contempt their opponents, stick their label of scorn not only onto desertion but onto real escape. And what are so often its companions: disgust, anger, condemnation, and revolt. Not only do they confound the escape of the prisoner with the flight of the deserter, but they would seem to prefer the acquiescence of the quisling to the resistance of the patriot. To such thinking, you have only to say, "The land you loved is doomed," to excuse any treachery, indeed, to glorify it. So what Tolkien's saying here is that escape, even the form of escape that we're talking about in terms of literature,、uh, is often a heroic thing. There's a lot of movies about escaping from prisons.、Um, there's a lot of、um, there's a lot of movies about escaping from reality in a sad way, but、uh, a pretty harmless way. Of escaping from a, a bad reality is by escaping into some kind of fictional world in which you can play out good things and bad things without any、uh, very serious consequences. So in this book, back to Piers Anthony, we've got、um, escapism of many kinds, and to be honest, it's mostly、uh, it's mostly a book about bad things happening. To let's say ignorant people, there's not really many.、Uh, there's not many bad people in this book. They're mainly what's called in the book nomads or barbarians.、Um, and in writing in this way, Piers Anthony is kind of going back to one of his main sources of inspiration, and that's actually Greek myth.、Uh, later in the book, you come across, and this is a great tie-in to this whole podcast's theme. You come across a labyrinth with a minotaur, and the idea there is that in this post-apocalyptic world, you've got、uh, genetic mutants, you've got crazy scientists experimenting on people, and 
one of the things they've done, one of the terrible things that do come up in the book is this Minotaur man. And right at the end of the, the series, the whole series, another weird uh, mutant creature appears. Uh, so this is a book of uh, myth, actually, I would say. It's not really great myth. It's not like uh, Tolkien's mythology, where you've got so many details taken from other sources. It's very much um, mechanical. And that goes for pretty much everything that Piers Anthony ever wrote. Uh, he has a nice formula, and he sticks to the formula. And um, he just plays it out to see where it will go. And that's one of the things that I actually like about his novels. Um, there's no great characters. There's no um, really poetic language, maybe. But there is a kind of poetry to his mechanical plots. Uh, right from the names of the nomads, where they have to fight for their name. And it's made uh, to be, according to a formula, three letters. And you change the letters. Uh, if you're a wife or a child of one of the, the warriors. And the whole society is actually set up in a totally mechanical way. It's almost like a, a game theory. It's like a mathematical way of putting society together. I would say, like, that's actually one of the things that's so astounding about this book, uh, written in the 60s, late 60s. Um, this kind of almost unconscious criticizing or critique of a, a world that's set up in terms of mathematics. And in the book, it's explicit that the, the scientists, the crazy people, as they're called, uh, the educated people, they have set up this world to give everybody what they want, uh, and whatever they might need. And they even provide a mechanical way, these uh, duels, these battles in the battle circle, to resolve any conflicts so that the minimum number of people are going to get hurt. Now, this would seem to be some kind of dream on the face of it, like an economist's dream world. Everybody has to get what they want. It's a perfectly fair system of one against one. You're going to get Everything provided for you from the most um, basic needs to the most... Uh, okay, so not really very high cultural needs. These uh, nomads can watch TV in their in their hostels that they visit, but that's about it. As far as I can see, there's no books. There's no uh, music, really. If there is, it's not mentioned. Um, one, one guy gets a pet, I think, is about as uh, sentimental as it gets. So there's not really a high culture in this civilization, and you can hardly call it a civilization. But it is a kind of uh, it is a kind of mathematical culture, and that is what comes across um, as the story progresses. First, about this empire building, where uh, Sos and Sol discover that they need to develop tactics, and they need to beat the other. Um, individuals and then also other tribes by a kind of numbers game. It's a statistical game and they play chess. They play uh, tactical simulations just to see who they can beat. 
So again, it's like this war games thing. Wargaming is actually a hobby of mine. And I started reading this book while I was in a pretty stressful time of my life. I was looking for a job. I just lost a job uh, working for a games company that's going to remain nameless. But um, yeah, so playing war games was a big part of my life at the time. And uh, it really uh, struck me that this this book would make a great basis for a game. So I, I emailed Piers Anthony, uh, the author, and said, hey, can I make a game out of your book? He said no, um, for various reasons. Uh, good reasons, I guess, if you're in this business. Um, but maybe I will make that game under some other name. Basically, the idea of having two fighters in a circle and a variety of weapons and a variety of tactics that you might employ, this would work great as a tabletop game of some kind. <clears throat> but anyway, so it's a book about games and uh, a lot of the culture of the 60s, 70s, 80s, even into the 90s, dealt with this theme of there's a big uh, game of chess going on in this world, right? And uh, this seems to have been, this seems to have, the book seems to have tapped into that really, really well. Um, the second book is focuses on one character, takes the story back to a more personal level. Um, and this character is another mutant uh victim of this atomic war he's lost his voice um he can only make these animal noises uh so again it's kind of this greek myth um inspiration coming through people turning into animals and stuff like this he's an intelligent guy he just can't communicate very easily um and his hands and his feet are kind of uh distorted so he's kind of treated as this beast man and the story is is told from his perspective as someone who can't speak and that is um that is a little more interesting than the first book maybe it also highlights one of the things i wanted to say about anthony typically he gets one idea and then he plays with it and that's uh, how he gets you hooked in his book so a famous quote at least one that stuck uh, with me is piers anthony gets his ideas shipped <clears throat> shipped to him in a box and he he just buys them by the pound uh he gets his idea he makes it into a story and then he's done uh so that's that's true uh here you can see it in action he has a character who can't speak um maybe predictably the character dies in a pretty tragic way this is a greek tragedy i'd remind you um so he's a kind of bridge character between um this kind of triumphant uh, first novel where there's a whole empire that gets created and then destroyed by a single hero uh, which is like a kind of hercules figure or a kind of superhero basically um so it's playing into that modern trope of where are the heroes in this world uh, of technology? Well, they they make this guy into a super warrior using technology. So that's, uh, again, tying into something that maybe is, is everywhere. In the third book, we've kind of bridged over uh, 
to the the depths of this tragedy and i want to warn any listeners um who might find these things disturbing you might want to skip ahead now um i'm not going to go into any graphic detail but the book is pretty it's pretty horrifying to be honest um there is some rape in there uh i think this book also has a torture scene in it it is it is is pretty shocking um i remember being shocked by this when i read it it is just uh barbaric in the most uh basic terms so it's kind of the story just unwinding because uh after this empire that was built in the first book has collapsed also the technology has collapsed again which was keeping everybody happy remember and giving everyone just what they wanted but not too much just enough um so now that that's collapsed there is the real uh world of barbarians and they just do whatever they want they they forget the rules that were there remember everybody had to fight one on one to get anything they wanted and um even though it was possible to kind of game that system a little bit and build this empire still um the system worked and it stopped the worst of these crimes i mean terrible terrible things happening so the hero um is uh, a tragic hero because he loses uh, his wife he loses everything really um and he sees firsthand how terrible this this barbarism is you know people just um living by the law of might is right and that's of course what started the the post apocalyptic uh, world in the first place just an escalation of of violence of weapons and eventually um that was the end so he he understands personally this time what what that means and he goes on this quest to meet the crazies the crazies are the um are the scientists the educated people more specifically the technological people so and this is why i think that the real message of the book is um again it's a 60s book it's about peace it's about it's anti-war uh the ending of the book is typically called uh weak and it is really really bizarre really a uh, freaky ending uh basically the hero uh gets his hand cut off in a battle and first of all he replaces this hand with a sword and so he becomes this awesome fighter like a bit like sos or sol in the first book um he's technologically enhanced but then he uh he replaces the sword in the end and this is the bizarre part with a glockenspiel uh so he has a musical uh arm appendage and he he does actually sing a song it's the only song in the whole book and apparently a lot of american popular music has survived the apocalypse um he sings if i had a hammer so he sings this um he sings this protest song this kind of uh peace song at the end of the book uh there's another even more bizarre um episode which happens later to the evil leader of the crazies he goes off and basically um cohabits or something with this uh weird mutant creature 
that um, he's created, apparently. Uh, very, very weird. Whether there was meant to be a message in there, I'm not sure. If it's about, like, genetic modifications or um, somehow, like, uh, finding artificial happiness in this world. <laughs> maybe it's something like that. Or maybe it's just typical Pierce Anthony because that is absolutely the kind of thing that happens in many of his books. Um, there, there isn't a lot of um, relationships in this book. A few reviewers have mentioned that this is a book about friendship and honor. And that's certainly true. Um, it's a very macho kind of friendship and a macho kind of honor. But, you know, I think in a way it's one of the messages of the book, if you're going to take it as a more than just trash or pulp, which which it is, but maybe unconsciously there is a message which is that this world is maybe a little too macho sometimes. And um, this could be another reason why the disaster happens um, to bring people down to this level. So when there's no honor, when there's no friendship of any kind, then you end up with a disaster. You end up with a the end of civilization. Uh, so that's definitely in there. That's definitely part of the book. Um, it's not written well, and that's one thing that I like about the book. It does kind of contrast with a lot of other Piers Anthony books. It is very dark. It is very depressing. It's much more like a pulp novel of the 30s or 40s, like Conan, something like that. It's um, it's about bad things happening, and even the heroes are constantly uh, doing bad things. Um, it, it is not a deep um, story. It doesn't have these deep characters, but what it does have is um, very clear motives for things. Um, you know, there's a touching part where the little bird that's the friend of uh, Sos or Sol, I can't remember, uh, he dies. Um, there's a lot of very tragic moments, which, um, again, if you take it as a myth, they are pretty touching. Um, and I think that's the idea of a book like this. It's, it's meant to be, um, it's meant to bring out those strong emotions, um, by virtue almost of like a, a comic book image. It's like a cartoon image. Um, and I think as a piece of sci-fi, I always say that sci-fi and fantasy are just the opposite of what they, what they claim to be or what they're called. Because, well, sci-fi is not very uh, scientific normally. This book is pretty scientific. If you leave out all the mutations and stuff, I mean, even that could that could happen to some degree. But uh, basically, a nuclear war would definitely wipe out most of the life and and uh, technology on a planet. So that's that's fair. Um, and um, the other stuff that he describes in here is pretty realistic, actually. Um, if you take out the part where he's traveling uh, miles and miles, hundreds of miles uh, to go to China. Okay, this part is basically a myth, mythological time. Um, so it's it's not very scientific in that sense. It's also not really fiction. I mean, the motivations, as kind of crude as they are, 
those are things that happen in this world. And, um, and I think if you read it like that as an, as an old book from a very, um, very turbulent time, it really does, um, show, it shines a light on this world, the real world events, maybe of the time. And maybe now when things are so complicated that it's hard to, it's hard to follow events in the news. It's hard to follow even, um, events in your everyday life, maybe. <laughs> Um, when you just think about work, when you think about, um, if I think about when I was looking for a job, it was certainly a very confusing situation. And this book, uh, which I found by chance actually just on the bookshelf. So there's these open bookshelves here in Germany. Um, you have to pay to join a library, but people get rid of their unwanted books just by putting them in these nice, uh, waterproof, glass fronted cabinets that the that the city i guess was kind to put up so and i found this there i think a lot of piers anthony books were translated into german i read it in german um a lot like another very obscure piers anthony book uh i don't even know that the name in english it's storyteller um in german but again, it's a really long, uh, that's a long saga about this, um, Mesoamerican, uh, storyteller, right? Who goes on this quest. Um, and again, it's a mathematical, pu uh, puzzle almost. Yeah, I could say that. Um, the storyteller, he's good at stories, right? Obviously. So that's his one skill. And his other skill is running. So obviously he can go and travel and go on this quest. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like a D&D &D story. Uh, you have your special strengths, your skills, and that's it. Uh, you have to solve the problems and, um, you're thrown into a variety of more or less difficult, uh, situations, scenarios that you have to try and, uh, solve. And that definitely happens along the way. Um, this, um, Mesoamerican storyteller, he meets uh, mythical figures from uh, Central American um, religion, from the myths of that that area, because it's it's a whole area. Of course, it's hard to tell where those uh, civilizations started and ended. He meets the uh, the twins, the famous twins. He plays the the ball game, and so on. Um, and it, that is basically like every one of. Uh, Piers Anthony's books, there's some quest. It's very paint by numbers. Um, every character has got their own kind of strengths, weaknesses, uh, issues they have to work through. Right? Um, so, it's very much paint by numbers, right? But I think that this type of book is, is great if you really want to escape. Um, because the way it's written is, uh, it's entertaining in that it's very flat. You don't have to deal with any, um, very impressive language. I read these books, most of, the, um, the ones I have read when I was a teenager. Um, and they kind of hooked me because of these big images, big ideas, there's another book uh, by Anthony, which is called Mer Cycle, 
where the ridiculous concept is that you can you can travel through uh, any type of matter more or less um but you have to do it on foot or by bike so a bunch of people take uh mountain bikes and they kind of phase out a little bit out of space so they can travel underwater but the bikes are still solid enough to um to tra- to cycle on the bottom of the sea and there's a lot of ways reasons why that just wouldn't work but um it makes for a fun and crazy kind of movie like atmosphere um and i think that's what you've got here as well it's um it's just big ideas big brush strokes um and a kind of comi- comic book uh storyline <laughs> If, is there a redemption for this book? I mean, the end of the end of the story is a kind of redemption where the North American nomads and now the the crazies who've kind of joined forces with them to rebuild society, they get in touch with the um, Central American or South American outpost that survived the apocalyptic war, and so they decide to rebuild civilization. Um, and I guess there's kind of a message there, which is like, you know, we need to, uh, we need to reach out. We need to communicate with each other. We need to do that better. Um, we need to let go of revenge. Um, that's the motivation of the main character in the last book. He's seen these terrible things happen to his, his wife and, uh, I guess a few other people and he's motivated by revenge and revenge only. And in the end, he realizes that's that's not the answer. That's not going to bring anyone back. Uh, that's not going to make him happy. But instead, um, and it's not specified at all how they're going to do it, but they need to build bridges and make peace, right? So, um, yeah, I would say this book, um, as, bad, as bad as it is by many standards, it is it is worthy of uh of a look i mean um when i was involved with games uh and i'd like to do a few more of these podcasts maybe about some role playing games like our um D&D Dungeons and Dragons and some of the books and the stories that inspired that uh this isn't one of them but this is pretty similar to some of them um, I'd like to do a few podcasts about those types of games as well. Cause one of the things I always said when I was more involved with that was, well, look, which would you rather have? Would you rather have, um, these violent things being played out on a table where people can think about them and think about the possibilities and how that's going to, how that's going to play out? in a safe way or would you rather have it in the real world you know i mean at the end of a game you can go home and you can you have a choice what what are you going to do um are you going to behave like in the game where it's often pretty ridiculous it's pretty um exaggerated violence it's tactics it's using people to get to objectives or are you going to um are you going to try and do things differently? Are you going to, yeah, I mean, we live in that world. You have to make a buck. Um, I totally get that. But maybe within that world, there's also the possibility of reaching out and, and building bridges. And that's one thing that always, um, interests me in these games. 
in these stories. Um, it's a way of uh, dealing with a lot of the emotions, a lot of the ideas or the experiences that we, we really have to, to get through. Uh, like me losing my job, finding a new job, um, or uh, dealing with the politics and stuff that you hear all the time. Uh, yeah, it's a way of looking at that and accepting the way it is, but not not letting that be the last word. And uh, so I think that's a good place to stop now. I hope this hasn't gone on too long. I could understand if anyone wanted to edit that. Um, but I hope it's been a little uh, enlightening. I hope it's been a little entertaining. And I hope that it maybe whets your appetite to hear a bit more um, about some comics, about some movies, games, um, but all, I guess, tied into this theme of um, fantasy games, uh, adventure games. I'd like to think that I'm hoping to provide the adventure side of this podcast, maybe. Although, of course, it's all about the books. Um, yeah, and... Hopefully, we'll delve into those topics more in my next episode if I get the go-ahead from the chief. So, I guess I'll say sayonara and see you next time. <laughs>